0: thank you for all that you are doing in our church and in our lives. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us on this day. God, it would, it's you who is impressing on our hearts, convicting us of what you are going to do and what you are doing right now. Father, just be with our world, uh, be with those who are, who are sick, um, be with those who are struggling, especially with this new virus that's going around. Uh, Father, I pray that there would be peace uh, there would be healing, and that there would just be uh, not so much fear, just trusting in you. Father, we, we, we love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, we had lunch uh, with a, a good friend uh, and, and her husband yesterday, and, and actually we're, we're friends with both. But we had, we had lunch, and, and basically we wanted to get dim sum, um, but we forgot it was Chinese New Year's. Uh, it was, it was uh, Lunar New Year. So we got to the dim sum place, and there were like dragons and firecrackers and a line going around the door. And so we couldn't get dim sum. And so um, our friend's husband was basically saying, hey, this is a perfect time. We should go to this pizza place. It's like my favorite pizza place in all of, in all of Denver. So we were like, okay, let's go. And uh, we, we get to the restaurant, and we sit down. And basically, there was a mini conversation, a sidebar conversation going, uh, going between um, this, this couple that we're eating with. And, and basically, they explained to us that um, her husband, so our, friend, our friend's husband, has basically been hyping this place up as the best pizza place in all of Denver. Um, basically, saying that this is like his favorite pizza place of all time um, to, to his wife for the past couple of months. And this is the first time that they got to go. And so... Um, as they're, as they're talking, he's basically just like telling her, you got to try this pizza. You got to try this slice. You got to do this. Uh, you got you to gotta eat it like this way. And, and she's just like, yo, just let me, leave me alone. Let me eat my pizza in, in peace. And, and Grace and I, as we're, as we're just eating the pizza, we're like, this is just good pizza. But you could see in, in the husband's face, you can see in his face, he's just like looking at her and just being like, isn't this the best pizza you've ever had? And it was so funny because, because, um, his wife was like, yeah, it's, it's good pizza. And he's like, no, 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 isn't this the best pizza you've ever had? And she's like, yeah, it's good pizza. And he's like, no, like, isn't this the best pizza you've ever had? And like, he was, he was kind of getting a little down. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know, my personality is I don't like that kind of awkward. I'm like, yeah, this is the best pizza I've ever had. I'm like eating it, and I'm like, it's so good. Like, and it was really delicious. And, and even Grace was like, yeah, it's really good pizza, and, and it was delicious. But it was so funny because she was explaining to her husband, she was like, it's good, but you hyped it up too much. Like you basically had been, had been talking about this pizza place for months, saying like how it's the best pizza ever, how it's just so good. He went as far and he was even talking to the waiter, the guy who was taking an order, and he's like, dude, I dream about this pizza. And the guy's like, yeah, I like, you're right. Like I, I dream about our pizza too. I mean, and, and so the like, his wife is just like, like, man, you've been saying so much about this pizza, and it's it's just a slice of pizza. Okay, it's, and so the husband is kinda of, kind of kind of distraught, but honestly, it was a good pizza and it was it was all good. But it was so funny because in that in that little conversation, there was missed expectations. For, for, for the wife, there was missed expectations because she was expecting, like, mind-blowingly awesome pizza. She was expecting, like, r- amazing pizza, and when she ate it, it missed her expectation, and so it, didn't, it went from being really good pizza to just, like, it was okay, it was good because her expectations were, were so high. And then there were also missed expectations from the husband's side, because he was expecting her to be like in agreement, to, to agree with him. He was expecting her to look at the pizza, eat the pizza, and just be like, wow, this is the best ever. And so he was disappointed because of missed expectation. So as I'm, as I'm watching um, this couple, and they're our close friends, like we love them. As we watch them eating the pizza, I, I look at myself and Grace, and we had no expectations. We thought we were going to eat dim sum, but we eat this pizza, and so I look at Grace and I look at myself, and I'm like just imagining how I look, and we're the happiest people on the planet Earth. This is like the, the best feeling because we are experiencing this really high-quality pizza. And of course, um, it was this time that I'm, I'm just reflecting and thinking, um, you know, is having expectations a bad thing? And I, I've, been, I've been kind of mulling over this idea, not just yesterday, but just for, for a long time, about expectations. And, and is it good to have expectations? Because I, I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different type of people, but what I find very interesting, especially when I talk to the young adults, not just at our church, but the college students that I minister to uh, in the past, and, and even the youth kids, What's really interesting to me is when I hear their description of their future spouse. And it's always funny because um, the younger they are, the more perfect their spouse is. When when they're really when they're really young, like in high school, their future spouse is like Amazing in every way, perfect body, perfect personality, super intelligent, really good looking. I mean, just in every way, like going to be a good father. it Like is good with kids, is really adventurous and fun. And I'm I'm talking to the I, specifically when I was a youth pastor, talking to these high school girls about what they, what kind of guy they wanted. Um, it was like he was, you know, he was a. a, a a figment of their imagination. He was a fairy tale, and then you talk to kids in college, and it starts to starts to lower expectations a little bit. It's not this perfect human being. It's 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 kind of like yeah, they just got to be smart, they got to be good, they got to be you know um, maintain themselves well, presentable. You know, they have to be polite and 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 good. And then when they get a little older, the expectations start going even further down um, to the point when you know when you get to even later, they're just like he's got a job. You know, he's employed and, and, and that's it. You know, like as long as, as, long as he, he, has, he has a job, then maybe I'll consider it. I mean, if he's Christian, you know, we'll, we'll think about it. And, and all I've seen is, is this plague of expectations uh, that inevitably leaves you to become disappointed. And I remember thinking even back in college, all right, I'm just not going to have expectations ever. I'm never going to expect anything from everyone and that's the best way to live. Because if you have no expectations, then you'll always have your expectations be beaten. You'll always have your expectations met because you have no expectations. But I've, I've come to realize also that that's not really doable. That that's not possible. That A lot of times when you ha- are in a relationship with someone, um, when you are in a loving relationship with someone, it's natural to have Expectations. Today we're going to be talking about this topic of expectations. But I want to give you another way to look at it, give you a a category to describe unhealthy expectations and healthy expectations. And it's it's very pertinent and, and very important that you understand this beginning part because it's going to frame the rest of the message. But I believe that expectations are in many ways unhealthy, especially when they're specific. So I'm going to say that from the get-go. Specific expectations are very unhealthy. Specific expectations, detailed expectations, demands, and ultimatums basically say, I expect you to do this, this, and this if not, we're done. I expect you to do this. I expect you to say this. I expect you to buy this. I expect you to give me this. Unless you do those things, it's over and you've missed my expectations. Specific expectations are dangerous and unhealthy. And on the flip side, it's not that expectations have to be unspecific or they have to be vague and broad. I don't want to say it that way because that's a weird way to think about expectations. But instead of thinking about specific expectations, there's this flip side, which I want to call trust. And trust and expectations cannot be mixed together. They're not the same thing because trust is not being specific about what needs to happen, that these are the sequence of events, these are the actions that need to be done. Trust is rooted in faith and hope. Trust is rooted in a faith in a relationship, faith in a person, faith in their character, faith in who they are, hope that it's going to be good. Hope that the, the, the reaction, the action that is done, the expectation is not meant to be specific, but the expectation is that it's going to end up good. And if I can add one layer to it, trust is also wrapped around in love, in this relationship, this committed relationship. And so having specific expectations is dangerous. Having trust is healthy. And I know I'm 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 bringing all these ideas, and I hope you're starting to digest it a little bit. But this inherently applies to your spiritual walk with the Lord, and this is this is the angle I really want to start hitting today. And I hope and I pray that this begins to impact your your relationship with God, because what I believe. Especially as I'm reading the book of Exodus. What I believe is happening in our church and churches across the world is that people have specific expectations on God. And those specific expectations are being missed by God. Because people, as they come to church, as they come into a relationship with God, begin to make these expectations on God, saying, God, you need to make sure that I'm healthy. You need to make sure that my kids are safe and protected. You need to make sure that I have a good job so that I can provide for my family. God, I need to make sure that I'm married and I have kids and I have a roof over my head and I have food on the table. And they are these very specific expectations that we call prayer requests, these specific expectations we have on God, God, you do this. And it's come to such a point where they even have, uh, have put labels on it in certain, in certain groups. Like they call it the name it and claim it. Where you, where you name it and you say, God, you're going to get me that promotion. God, you're going to get me that new car. And if you have enough faith, God will bring you these blessings in your life. They're very specific. And I remember being in a church like that, and you're praying these prayer requests. And I remember just praying very vaguely and very broadly, just like, Lord, bless my life and just help me to follow you and help me to to be close to you. And I remember uh, someone, um, I wasn't really close to, but someone came up to me and they'd be like, dude, your prayers are too vague. You need to start praying with more specificity. You need to start saying, Lord, give me, give me what I want. Give me the things that I want in this world, and I will praise you, and I will glorify you, and I will give you all the credits. And I was thinking, like, that feels really weird. That feels really awkward. And he's like, dude, you got to just, just say it. Like, this is what you want. Lord, give me this. Give me that A on the test. And I was like, all right, man, I, I, I mean... <laughs> You got so much faith, and he's like, yeah, it's all about faith. If you have faith, then it's going to happen. I'm like, all right. All right, God, I'm, I'm taking this test. Lord, give me an A. <laughs> you start, you start t- doing the answers. I don't know any of these answers, but all right, I got it. All right, the answer is D. Okay, <laughs> You get the test back, and, and then all of a sudden, um, you go back to your friend, and you're like, I didn't get an A, I got a C. You didn't have enough faith, man. You just didn't believe hard enough. God didn't miss your expectation, you, you are the problem. You're the one that didn't have enough faith. This is really dangerous. And I'm going to say dangerous. This is really dangerous when your prayers, not that they're specific. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make your prayer requests specific. But the heart in which you pray is very important. Are you praying from an expecting heart or are you praying from a trusting heart? Are you praying saying, God, you better do this or I'm done with you? God, you better answer my prayer in the way that I want my prayer to be answered or God, I trust you. I have faith that you have my best interests in heart. I have faith that you care about my desires. You care about my needs. You watch over me and you look after me. And I'm not saying how you're going to meet my needs. It's I'm saying I trust that you're going to take care of me. I trust that you know what's best for me. I have hope that you're going to do good for me. This is the lesson for today. If you would open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 17. We're gonna read from verse one. It's on the screen behind me, and and Exodus 17 um, is the is a chapter right after Exodus 16, and and we went over Exodus 16 last week, and and Exodus 16 was talking about the Israelites running out of food, and and God had sent manna from heaven. These, this bread from heaven to just float from the sky. And I wasn't there, but I would have loved to see that. Like wake up in the morning and it's not snowing, but it's just bread. It's just like wafers falling from the sky. And then they would be able to gather enough day's portion and they would have enough to eat. So know that this is, this is the, the, the chapter right after that. And so it's very, it's very, as you're reading this or as it's being read to you, realize the irony that the previous chapter was where bread was falling from heaven. Exodus chapter 17, starting from verse 1. says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Sin is, a, is an area. It's not sin, like sin, sin. Um, the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, to, and, and said Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the lord but the the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against moses and said why did you bring us out of egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst so moses cried to the lord what shall i do with this people they are almost ready to stone me and the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will, stand bef- uh, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Masa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So he named that place testing and quarreling. It's important that we know that Moses is is basically telling the people right away as they are quarreling with him about water that they are testing the Lord, saying this very specific thing, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And in them saying this to Moses, they were essentially enacting a test before the Lord. When you, when you read the Bible, and I, I encourage you to read the Bible, um, you need to read it not just as words on a page, but really allow it to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to speak to you. And, and I want to give you an example of how I read the Old Testament especially. When I read the Old Testament, I don't just read it um, just for face value. What I like to do is I like to take myself and put myself in the position of the sinner. Put myself in the situation of the one who is failing. Because when you do that, you begin to empathize and sympathize with the problems that they are facing and what led them into sin. And in this case, I'm I'm putting myself in the position of the Israelites, of the people who are wandering in the deserts, the people who had just witnessed Manna coming from heaven, and not just witnessed it yesterday, that they are continually witnessing it. Manna is being sent from heaven, not just for a week, but for this entire period that they are wandering in the desert, they are receiving bread from heaven, bread from the sky. So as I'm this Israelite, as I'm this person wandering, I have this wafer, you know, kind of like the communion wafers. Um, I have this wafer that I'm eating And all of a sudden, our water supply is dwindling. I'm starting to run out of water. And I don't know if you've ever run out of water on a long hike or if you've run out of water just in general. It is a very anxiety-inducing thing. It's very frightening because water is necessary for life. Without water, you're going to dehydrate and you're going to die. And it's not a nice death to die by dehydration. It's not, it's not nice in the sense that it's, it's pleasant. It is very unpleasant. So imagine being an Israelite, eating these really dry wafers. And I don't think that they were very moist and they were like, you know, delicious baguettes or something. They were probably these dry crackers that they're getting from heaven, mind you. They're, it's coming down from the sky. But as they eat it, they become more and more dehydrated and fearful. And again, this is where I empathize with the Israelites. Man, that's scary. They're in the, they're in the desert. They're in, they're in wilderness. They're, they're in this area that's probably close to Saudi Arabia. It's hot. It's, it's, it's really dry. They're getting parched. They, they would kill for some water. And so what they do is they go to Moses. And they begin to use their human logic. Their human logic mixed in with their faith. And I think this is where a lot of us find ourselves in the same seat as the Israelites. What they begin to do is they mix their logic with their faith. And they go to Moses and they say, bring us water from heaven. Bring us water. Because clearly we're dying. I think what their expectation was was that if God can bring bread from heaven, why can't God bring water from heaven? It's called rain. And imagine that conversation with Moses. Moses, you pray and God brings bread from heaven. How hard is it if God brings some water? If God brings some rain? Can't you just pray to God? You talk to him all the time. Can't you just pray and say, God, bring rain. Bring rain on us, we'll fill our pots, we'll fill our jars, and we'll be good because you bring rain from heaven. God, how sick and cruel of a joke. Moses, what a cruel joke this is, that you are bringing bread from heaven, but you can't bring rain. How ridiculous of a leader are you? And they begin to quarrel with him, saying the things that people say to leaders is, You're so stupid. Use your brain." Get some logic. You're causing us to die. Our children are going hungry. Our children our children are growing thirsty. We should have gone back to Egypt. Cuz in Egypt they at least had water. In Egypt they at least had rain. Here we're in the desert. Yeah, we have food, but we don't even have rain coming from the sky and we're following a god that seems to hate us. Moses You need to pray for rain. If you don't pray for rain, we're going to stone you to death. The people of Israel were expecting God, the people of Israel were expecting God to meet their needs in the way they dictated, in the way they understood, in the way they wanted. These are the people of Israel. These are the people that are experiencing God meet their hunger needs, not in ways of logic. God is meeting their hunger needs every single day by literally raining down bread from heaven, and yet they go to Moses and are quarreling with him, are threatening to kill him, because they're saying God now needs to meet our need of water in the way that we understand. He needs to meet our need of water in the way we desire. They begin to test God. Is God not here? Is God not in in this place? And that's that's what the Bible is explaining to us. They test the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're saying, as they're seeing manna come from heaven, God is with us, right? If God, if you're real, if you're here, you're going to make it rain. So I can fill my my bowl of water, and I can drink. God, if you're real, you'll give me something to drink today. This is testing the Lord. And again, in our society, in our world today, a lot of people are doing this with God. A lot of people are the reason why they don't come to church anymore. The reason why they don't want to associate with Christians or associate with spirituality, or with a relationship with God, or even talk about Jesus, or in any of these ways, is because they've already made so many of these expectations to God. I I heard it from someone, and it, it breaks my heart. And I honestly, really, I don't know how to respond. I'm a pastor, and I think about this stuff all the time. But I still don't know how to respond to when someone comes up to me and says, you know, I'm not a Christian, Or I'm not not a churchgoer. And I'm like, why? And they'll say, because my mom died. And it's like, what do you mean? And and they said, if God was good, if God was loving, my mom wouldn't have died. It's hard to respond to that. It's hard to respond to that because already they're starting from the, the premise that God has to meet their expectation. And because God missed their expectation, they're done with him. And, and, and as your pastor, I've had my expectations missed by God. Where you're praying so fervently, you're asking God so fervently for something, and you don't get it. You don't get what you've been praying for. It, it, it turns out in a way that's wrong. And, and it's not that God is saying yes and God is saying no. It's that my, my own personal expectation has been missed, and it hurts. It is, it is very hard when you've been praying for something for so long, and it goes the opposite way. It hurts. That missed expectation hurts. It's painful. And I don't want to discount that pain in anyone. And that's why I still am less a loss for words when someone explains, I'm not a believer because God let my mom die, or God God let my child go through abuse, or God let let something bad happen and I lost my job. Like, I can't believe in God because this bad thing happened. But the Israelites, they were saying the same thing Is God not here? If God is so good, if God is so strong, can't he make it rain? And Moses explains that this is testing. This expl- he explains that this was wrong. There's a second side to this. that's very interesting when you, when you look in the perspective of Moses. Moses at this time... I'm sure he's still learning how what it means to lead this large group of people into the desert where he doesn't even know where they're really going. Moses again in this wandering, he's a leader and and by all all by all measures, he kind of he's kind of a weird leader because he is leading this people for 40 years in the desert. <laughs> And he's doing the will of God. And he's absolutely doing what God wants him to do because the people need to wander in the desert for 40 years. But I feel for Moses. I mean, imagine being called by God to lead the people into the promised land and God says, but you need to take a 40-year route in the wilderness before you get there. As a leader, that is very tiring. That is very tiresome. And in this sense, it's even more scary for Moses because the people are saying we're going to stone him. And I don't know if you know what being um, stoned is. Being, Being stoned in, not in our day. In our day, it's very different what being stoned is. But back in the day, being stoned wasn't just getting some pebbles and throwing pebbles at someone, and just like giving them bruises on their, on their head or on their arm. It wasn't, it wasn't like these soft, smooth stones that they just throw at you, and it's just like, ow, that hurt. Okay, I'm stoned, I'm, I'm good. No, what ended up happening was, they got these boulders, these large rocks, like a, a, a rock that you have to carry with two hands, and you have to be strong enough to lift it over your head, and what they would do is they would get these stones... And they would chuck it. They would throw it down on the person that they're stoning. And what would happen is is that that person would perish. But they wouldn't die right away. It's not like a bullet to the head. They would have their arm be broken, their legs be broken. They would be mangled and, and they would be covered basically in this pile of stones. And it it was this very theatric thing because that pile of stones would essentially bury the person that is being stoned. And it's like a marker for the rest of the community. And instead of them being hanged or being guillotined, like basically this pile of stone is a representation. This person failed. So they wanted to stone Moses and bury him in this pile of rubble as they are stoning him, as they are putting all these rocks on him. And Moses becomes fearful a little bit. I mean, going to God and just being like, Lord, the people want to kill me. And they want to kill me in a very brutal and very very hurtful way. They want to strike me down with these rocks. See, God doesn't want to meet your expectation. God wants to use, <laughs> use your circumstance to grow trust in you. God doesn't want to have you saved in the way that you, you think I'm going to be saved in this way. God wants to use that as a lesson for you to trust in him more. See, I think if I was Moses, the people are clamoring for rain. They're clamoring for water, right, essentially. They're climbing for water, and you go to God and say, God, save me. Save me because people want to kill me. So bring rain. And if you bring rain as I'm praying to you and saying, Lord, they want to kill me, if you bring rain, they'll they'll come at ease. They'll they'll, they'll stop saying that they're going to kill me. God instead uses Moses' situation and turns it on his head. He basically tells Moses, in action, you're afraid that the people are going to stone you, but I'm going to bring salvation through that stone. You're afraid people are going to kill you with rocks, I'm going to show you I can bring salvation through this rock. You are afraid people are going to strike you down with rocks. I'm going to show you, Moses, with my power. If you strike the rock, the rock will bring water. God uses this to even show Moses his power in an unexpected way. I don't know how, rock, how water came from the rock. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm, I wasn't there. And, but all I know is that this is very significant The fact that Moses was obedient enough to get a staff and smack a rock and water flew out, enough to make sure that every every person had their fill of water so that they weren't dehydrated and they weren't afraid of dying. God wasn't doing even what Moses expected. I'm sure if you asked Moses what he expected... I'm sure it was something like rain or or to show them a river nearby. I'm sure Moses' expectation was not that God would bring water from a rock. And this leads into the, the last segment of this sermon, whatever you may call it. God loves doing this with our expectations because he did the same thing with Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world. And and the Israelites, when they were trying to think, what would the Savior look like? What would the Savior be like? The Savior is going to be this strong and mighty king that comes down from heaven in a chariot of fire. He'll have a sword in his hand, and he's going to come down, and he's going to cut off all the heads of all the Romans, of all the people ruling over them. He's going to stand firm, and he's going to do these miraculous things, and he's going to be strong and mighty. And they had that expectation. But God sorely missed their expectation of what they wanted for a Messiah. And instead, he brought them Jesus. And Jesus was not pretty. He was not beautiful. And it's actually prophesied that he wasn't going to be this beautiful, you know, incredibly good-looking guy. He was a very ordinary-looking man. And, and Jesus was not born born in the temple, but he was born in a manger. And instead of going into the temple bearing a sword, he came in riding a donkey. And like this story, Jesus was the unexpected rock that was struck down. That He was struck for you and for me. And in his striking, in him being beaten and bruised and being hung on a cross, we now experience the living water of Christ. We now experience salvation through the cross. We are now able to drink freely from Jesus. See, I think a lot of us expect to be saved with rain coming down from heaven. Oh God, I experience you every single day. How wonderful it is that I experience your salvation like the rain from the sky but I think there's a beauty in the fact that we experience salvation from the striking of a rock, in our case, the striking down of our Savior, that we experience his living water to refresh you. When when you are trying to become discipled, as you search for discipleship or growth, maturity, in becoming a Christian. I always thought that being a mature Christian meant that God heard my prayers and God was quick to answer my prayers. I really thought that that's what it meant to be a mature Christian. I thought being a mature Christian was, man, being a mature mature, Christian Being a mature Christian is like one of those guys who prays a lot and God just, they have like a special hotline to God that when they pray, God just hears their prayers better, hears their prayers louder, and God just answers their prayers with more power and more force than my lowly prayer, than my sinful prayer, my bad prayer. What I realize what it means to be a mature Christian is not that God answers your prayers quicker or faster or better. Being a mature Christian is that your prayers become more trusting. Your prayers become more faithful. Your prayers become more hopeful. Not specific expectations. God, I demand you do this. I demand you do that. Your prayers become, Lord, I trust whatever you have in store for me. You're good. And I hope, I hope, that it's going to end for my good. And I know it's going to end for my good because I have this hope. I have this faith. I have this trust in you. I don't know how you're going to do it. In the same way the Israelites did not know that water was going to come from a rock and the Israelites did not know that Jesus, being born of a virgin, being born into a manger, was going to save the sins of the world that people don't know. They can't expect. You can't anticipate how God is going to answer your your prayers, but a mature Christian, a discipled Christian, is going to know that God is going to answer your prayers. And he's going to answer it well. And he's going to answer in a way that will show his glory and bring praise. Do we trust that God is going to answer our prayers? Can we anticipate not him meeting our expectation, our expectations, But can we anticipate him being good, him being holy, him being righteous, him being fair? See, I expect God to be good. I expect God to be holy. I expect God to be loving, to be patient, to be perfect. But I will not dare say I expect God to do something. His ways are higher than our ways. So instead of saying, I, I expect God to be good, I trust that God is good. I have faith that he is good. I have hope that he is good. This can become really difficult for a lot of people. And I, and I want to explain the situation that is going through my head, has been going through my head recently, is I know some people that are dealing with infertility issues, that they they can't conceive a child, Um, even a close friend of mine, just finding it really difficult to get pregnant and, and how difficult and hard that is. And I've heard some of these couples even, even say like, God, if you give me a child, I'll believe in you. God, if you, if you let us get pregnant and not have a miscarriage, I'll believe in you. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Just meet my expectation. Just, just let me get pregnant. And it's such, a painful, it's such a painful situation. And again, this is not what I, I'm saying. You go up to them and you preach to them. You, you, you say stuff to them. It's, it's painful and it's hurtful. But a better response instead of demanding to God, get me pregnant, is to have your prayers be rooted in trusting God that he knows your hearts. He knows your desires. And you go to God with your desires. You go to God saying, Lord, we want to get pregnant. Lord, we want a child. That's our desire. But we have faith and we have trust in you. And we know that even if we don't get pregnant, you're still good. And we still have faith in you. That even if we can't have a child, we still have hope. That there is good in store for us. Because it's not about our will, it's about your will. And if it's your will that we don't have a child, we don't understand it, but we still stand firm and we expect you to be good. We, we have trust and faith that you are a good God. You see, that's so difficult to pray. And that's why those prayers are powerful and effective. A prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective because then you allow God, instead of being hamstrung and confined to your expectations, you allow God then to start moving in the way He can. And the way He moves is in miracles. The way He moves is in supernatural. The way He moves is not with your logic, but by His power. And and, and your expectations may be very low. I think my expectations for our church is like, uh, Lord, I I want our our small group system to be strong and vital and and vibrant and good and and healthy. But you know what? I'm having to just leave that at at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, but you're good and you're going to do it the way that you need to. We want to surrender our church to you. Surrender every aspect unto you, trusting that you're the one who is good and you're going to do a good thing. I'm not saying don't have expectations. Expect God to be good. I'm just saying make sure your expectations aren't specific on what you want. Trust God. Have faith in him. And have hope that he's going to do a good thing because he is a good father. Let's pray. Lord, I I ask that you would help us not to test you the way that israelites tested you not to make these demands these prayer requests that we say you have to answer these prayer requests the way we want and if you don't i'm done with you i'll i'll stone moses we'll kill him we'll kill the leaders because you failed to meet our expectations father would you help us would you soothe us when our expectations are missed Would you comfort us when we feel that we've been wronged or we have had something taken away from us unrighteously, unrightfully? Father, I pray that instead we would grow in trust. We would grow to trust you, to rely on you, to rely on your ways because your ways are higher than our ways. God, would you show us Jesus, the true rock, the cornerstone, Who was beaten and bruised, who was struck down for us so that we may taste the living water. Father, Jesus missed our expectations. Jesus missed every expectation that we had for what a Savior looks like, and yet he's so much better than our expectations. He's so much better than our wildest dreams. Father, would you do the same to us in our prayer requests? Would you answer our prayer requests, not by what we demand, what we dictate? but would you answer our prayer requests with your character, your integrity, and your holiness. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that as naturally we have our expectations on what you will do, Lord, I pray that we would turn those expectations into trusting you, that we would lay those expectations at your feet, and Lord, that we would expect your goodness Expect your peace, your character, your loving kindness in whatever form they may take. Father, we are not here to dictate what you need to do. We are not here to tell you how you should save us. We just trust that you will save us. We trust that you will redeem us, that you will reconcile us, that you will sanctify us. We trust that you have our best interests at heart. We trust that you know our desires. Father, I pray that instead of having these specific expectations on you, as well as on others, that you would fill us with a love for for each other and love for you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.